0: Five, four, three, two, one. How
1: about we do it again? Six, seven, four, three, two, one. I think I'm bored. Okay, let's try one more. I definitely
0: Making and review. making and review.
1: making and review. six. six, six five, five. Four. Three. Two. One. On this episode of Rank and Review, Turquoise Elephant Jello. I mean, what the fuck? I'm going to look at six films that uh, have the capacity to bring out an audible what-the-fuck in its viewers. Uh, For those with sensitive ears, let's say WTF. This is Rank and Review Episode 6, WTF. Oh, and also, it's not to be confused with another podcast called WTF. Even though it is, in fact, recorded in a garage and does have moments where it's funny... Um, what it also does have are moments of extremely coarse language and spoilers for the six movies we are discussing. I don't know how these movies can be exactly spoiled, quote-unquote, but if it's something that worries you, watch the movie before you listen to the podcast. But do make a point of listening to the podcast. Step back and enjoy episode six of Rankin Review. So, I've got Rick Rochon in my filthy garage <laughs> to talk about what the fuck movies. Uh, this is episode six of Rank and Review. How does it feel?
0: Oh, I'm a little scared. <laughs> a little yes, At the moment. It's, uh, and I'm glad that you pointed out that we are actually doing this in kind of a uh, shabby, you know, Refuse filled garage. It's kind of appropriate for this uh, type of movie.
1: Well, uh, this is where people come out to have their cigarettes and, and whatnot in the winter time. And this is a winter's worth of accumulated uh, gross in here.
0: Detruss everywhere. WTF? Why would
1: I subject you to that?
0: <laughs> Actually, no, this, as you remember, I chose this mm. category. And really, I've been having seizures ever since I finished watching the movies. I
1: was going to ask you, actually, why you specifically ran towards WTF. But I'm glad you took it. I didn't want to give that to anyone necessarily, force it on them.
0: Well, I I went through the list of of various movie groupings, and uh, it it kind of seemed like the one category where I felt on safe ground because it was full of such weird choices that I didn't have to be particularly insightful with my observations, <laughs> you know. If you're watching famous horror movies or really good ones, then I actually have to have some real intelligence uh, behind my my thoughts. But this is just kind of a you know, pounding your head into the floor kind of uh, discussion.
1: <laughs> so, uh, had you seen any of the movies before when you got the list?
0: Uh, I had actually. Well, I've seen. A bunch of the Friday the Thirteenth movies, right. you know, years ago, like thirty years ago, um, and uh, I hadn't actually watched this one because uh, once I saw, well, because the first thing you know, when Corey Feldman appeared in the first two minutes of it, yeah. I went right. He was in the fourth one. <laughs> That's oh, right,
1: the hilariously titled <laughs> Final Chapter. <laughs> so
0: I went, okay, okay, no, I'm I'm catching up here, um, but uh, I had heard of most of the movies in the category rubber was brand new mm-hmm. uh but uh so i was sort of passing familiar and then well trailer park of terror had never crossed my mind that it <laughs> even existed
1: yes well let's go through the movies that we're going to talk about today i've got a bunch of dvds right next to you here but uh, the only one we watched together is the uh, bubba hotep um and uh that's bruce campbell playing an elderly eldest Directed by Don Coscarelli, who just did this movie, uh, John Dies at the End.
0: Uh, yeah.
1: Which I haven't seen yet, but everyone tells me that, Larry, you gotta see it, you'll love it. Um, and yes, uh, Rubber, uh, in film de Quentin Dupuis.
0: Brilliant. <laughs> Only the French could come up with something like this.
1: Existential terror. Um, the Then we got a couple of highly questionable sequels. Uh, Aliens vs. Predator Requiem. And Friday the 13th, Part 5, The New Beginning, the aforementioned Trailer Park of Terror, and then John Carpenter's Ghosts of Mars. Terry was with me a couple episodes ago, we were talking about a John Carpenter film, and he called Ghosts of Mars one of the worst movies of the 90s.
0: Well, you know, it's. I didn't watch a lot of movies in the 90s. I'm not a huge film buff in that sense, uh, but uh, I would probably concur with that. It's, it's, it's not it, good. It does not uh, does not age well, having not seen it in the original theatrical release. Uh, and it's, uh, yeah, it's it's got its issues.
1: More than a few. <laughs> uh, what can I say about you, Rick? we worked together at the dinner theater for... Five or six years, I think. Something like, how long were you there?
0: Uh, well, I was only there for the last three years. Right. In fact, that was the third theater I was associated with in Saskatoon that ended up closing its doors.
1: You're sort of like the death knell for any theater. It, it
0: seems that once I join, you know, the <laughs> clock starts ticking. So uh, you know, it was it was a surprising thing to discover. But eventually, you know, it's the pieces started falling into place, and I realized that I'm just not good for the financial well being of theater in Saskatoon. <laughs>
1: Maybe you should go work for a bank
0: <laughs> see what happens. Well, I did work for CIBC for a little while, but they seemed to have weathered the storm. Yeah,
1: they bounced back. Yeah. Um, so you're not a big movie fan. How do you feel about horror movies in general?
0: Well, I, I, now when I say I'm not a big film buff I enjoy movies yeah. I go to them like you know regularly but I'm not like a an avid you know, movie goer I'm not going every week or anything um, and as far as horror movies yeah it's when I was a kid you know you watch the the Friday the 13th the Halloweens that kind of stuff because it's it's also the the easy movie to pick for the gratuitous uh, boob scene
1: sex and violence it's great taste it tastes great together <laughs> yeah especially
0: when you're in your, that sweet spot of yeah, like, 12 15, to 15 yeah, yeah it's uh, it, and it was the one where you could pick, uh, you know, with your mom in the in the video shop. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's she probably didn't. Well, again, my mom's a smart lady. She probably knew that there were you know, <laughs> some uh, n- stuff she might disapprove of in there. But on the whole, generally reasonably palatable for the for me at that age. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's. I haven't. Again, I like my sci-fi. I like my fantasy. I've uh, I've seen enough that I I feel I can uh, have a few cogent uh, observations <laughs> about it. But uh, but no, I don't. Uh, I certainly don't watch horror like you watch horror. Right. <laughs>
1: Fair enough. And there a few people do or should. <laughs> it's, uh, um Part of the thing about the podcast is, well, trying to figure out why I'm doing the podcast. And uh, when I'm not making it about me, I make it about uh, <laughs> horror movies not getting any respect. I think that it's hard to make uh, a bad movie. It's hard to make a good movie, but it's also hard to make a bad movie. And I'm not typically about bringing the hate. I mean, I'm not going to say nice things about all of these movies, but I don't want it to necessarily be a big, this sucked, and then this sucked, and then this sucked, you know. I like to roll up my sleeves and say, okay, what went wrong here? And what works? Because most of the films at least have a few things that you could call redemptive.
0: Well, and, and horror movies can be extremely effective in different kinds of ways. It's like you've got the ones that basically are about the gore and the kills, and, and they basically build the film around those elements. Um, but then you've also got ones that, that work for atmosphere or go for a different kind of you know, discomfort in the audience. Um, you know, something like Blair Witch Project was totally about the atmosphere yeah. and in the theater it just it blew me away i loved it subsequent viewing i hated it mm. but uh, but yeah it's they can you know if you've got a director uh who knows what they're doing knows what they're going for and a good or a decent script it's like you can turn on incredibly effective effective horror movies um you know for very different reasons so and yeah they're not just you know about the you know, the jump or the, uh, or the gore or whatever. It's, uh, you know, it can be very good storytelling. And that's basically what you want. Is it a good story? And are the, the thrills effectively delivered? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it's I've, I've seen lots, seen some junk, and mm-hmm. I've seen... Some, I'm some not stuff.
1: saying that there isn't utterly worthy of dismissal and hateful, you know, comment of fil- horror films. There are but i will see like in comedies especially the comedy genre people will make excuses i have uh that movie hot rod i have on my shelf it's from saturday night live alumni making a book a stunt man oh those all always work so well but uh i will i will show that to people and i will always drop this caveat that this is not a good movie (laughs) but it is funny right (laughs) Nobody will do that for a horror movie, but they will do it for a, a comedy, right? This isn't a good movie, but it's got some jumps to it. It's kind of stupid, but I mean, it's it's entertaining, you know. Yeah. For some reason, horror movies don't get that same pass, and I, I'm here to call shenanigans on that. <laughs> <laughs> See, no monster. Ah! 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 Was completely overrun. What's the army's evacuation plan? Um, the plot, such as it is, just to just to push the plot a little bit. In the previous movie, the aliens had managed to create a pred alien. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
0: Oh yeah, I know, it Half sense. alien,
1: half predator Sure. And uh, that it crashes down to Earth in a small town And starts making more aliens And basically starts killing people in a small town And then in a, uh, a series first for aliens or predators We get a glimpse of the predator home world Where uh, some macho predator is sent to go get rid of the aliens And cover up all presence of them on the planet that's basically the plot. Um, I would mention some of the characters, but... Why bother? Why? <laughs> the, the, the movie doesn't care about them. Anyway, uh, Rick, please tell me, what did you think of Aliens versus <laughs> Predator Requiem?
0: Well, I just preface this by saying how kind of depressing the arc of the franchises have gone, mm. because you know when you look at, individually, the Alien franchise and the Predator franchise, is that they have started off so well oh and, yeah. like especially like the predator franchise is a classic you know arnold schwarzenegger and the crew of elite special forces uh, forces you know head to head with this one alien killing machine and then the second predator movie went to the well the rough and tumble the nut, urban jungle the yeah. urban jungle the la narcotics cops yeah. it's like okay you know these guys are warriors too and uh, although Danny Glover is kind of a step down (laughs) from uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger but uh, at the same time it's like okay no I can accept that and then it just like now the Predators movie kind of went back to the origins because it had the the elite uh, military guys Adrian Brody
1: channeling Christian Bale as Batman And, and,
0: uh... and you kind of went but when the Predator and Alien franchise came out, suddenly you had just a team of scientists to get butchered and there was the guy, the woman was, she was just the guy, she wasn't really a, she was the warrior at the end, but nothing really made anything special about her. No. And then this one, we get the ex-cop, or the ex-con, the sheriff who... Every decision he makes... Wrong. ...is wrong. Yeah. His instincts are completely terrible throughout this whole film. You've got the marine lady, who uh, is sort of the, the homage to Ripley, a little bit, character.
1: Possibly. But
0: it was, was... Yeah, I kind of interpret her in that sense. But you never say that she's actually a fighter. She may have just been...
1: She's a survivor,
0: maybe? <laughs> she drives the truck. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah that's,
0: that's basically, yeah. They don't say, they never say if she was a combat Marine or anything. She was just a Marine on furlough.
1: Right.
0: Um, and then there was Pizza Dude.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, and you're going, which one, like the ex-con is kind of the one who turns out to be the warrior. But again, it's like he was in jail for three years. It's not like he was a murderer. They never even say what he did.
1: If it sounds like we're using bland descriptors, I don't think the movie asks us to even so much as know their names a lot of the time. It's just like, mm-hmm. these are lambs for the slaughter, <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and and that's uh, like the, the one thing I sort of gave it credit for was the fact that this was a very direct sequel. Yeah. It's like it happened practically in real time after the previous yeah. Alien Predator movie. And... Uh, and so, and it picked up right where it left off and so now this was kind of different it was kind of different and the same in that again we had a group of people caught up in a situation of which they didn't understand but just slowly became aware of the level of threat they were in in the midst of and had really no true understanding of how to deal with it and yeah they just basically get picked off and slaughtered one at a time
1: yeah
0: uh, What's the point?
1: Yes. Well, this is what I found myself asking again and again and again. And it made me sort of resent myself for being excited and hopeful about an Aliens versus Predator movie. Now, again, this is the little boy inside of me that, that like, I, I, I saw Aliens and Predator again way too young. And I'm sure on many a day imagined what it would be like to see these guys throw down. I read some of the old comic books of this, you know, and frankly, they had way better stories <laughs> to justify it than the movies did. But part of me thinks, you know, there is room in the world for a hard R-rated sci-fi, you know, just crazy action, uh, violent movie for grown-ups. Like, I think it could be done and it could be done fairly well. This was not it. This was not it at all. And uh, it, was, it was frustrating because, uh, I mean, obviously they spent a lot of money on it. The production values were strong. Like
0: million dollar budget.
1: Yeah, I, don't, I didn't have anybody in the movie that I was particularly cheering for or against. Uh, most people, it was like introduction and then death. <laughs> but uh there was nobody to hang your hat on in in this movie, as far as who you identify with. I guess you're sort of cheering for the predator who's coming to clean up the place, but he also kills people willy nilly as well
0: well, and it's odd that he's he has no problem with killing anybody who gets in his way yeah. um but he's he's walking around cleaning up all the evidence of aliens, you know, of the alien presence and the predator presence. At the same time, he's leaving skinned bodies hanging from trees. trees, and uh, not being particularly subtle about you know how he's going about it. It's uh, it's not a sophisticated approach. It's just basically, if you saw if you come across his path, he's going to try and you know hit you with the. What was that thing that he threw at the girl? There's, um, uh,
1: it's. He had a disc in movie two. This was more of a... Wait, it lo- reminded me of like the... Do you remember Krull? Krull? That's exactly what <laughs> I yeah, <thought>. it was. It <laughs> reminded me of the Krull boomerang looking thing that would be thrown around in that ridiculous and hideous 80s science
0: fiction movie. <laughs> but it also grew because when it actually impaled and unfolded movie, as it threw, yeah. It, it turned into like this six foot diameter thing. <laughs> I'm going, how did that... Think... about well, whatever. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah. If you're thinking, how did that happen, you're obviously thinking way too deeply about the movie.
0: Oh, I've got notes here that made me... That point out that I thought way too deeply about this
1: movie. <laughs> um, the other thing, and I do want to get to your notes here, but I kept on asking myself, why don't people leave? They didn't establish that there was any military roadblocks. Like, there's a spoiler warning at the top of the show, so you can talk about anything that you'd like to, but uh, the... There's an evil corporation involved in the in the, in the the third act of this movie. Um, but I didn't get the impression that the military was there roadblocking the town. It really felt like any one of our characters could hop into a car and drive away to safety at any moment. Yeah. That was not present, at least in the first Aliens vs. Predator movie, when they were in the Arctic and they were like, oh, underground. There was no escape. They were trapped, so mm. then that made a little bit more sense. It was still dumb, but like... <laughs> leave there's monsters your husband was just killed in front of you and your daughter leave
0: (laughs) and you yes you ran out the front door with your daughter and uh, again though you're a marine you should be ready to make snap decisions under extraordinary pressure pressure. it's like you didn't have your car keys with you (laughs) barely not Um, so you just you know but again, like there weren't that it wasn't they were like they were surrounded. There was a limited infestation at that point. Yeah, um, yeah. Anybody could have just basically commandeered a car. I'm sure she w- probably she would have known how to hotwire a vehicle. Yeah, just stolen a car and left.
1: And there again, if they had a reason to stay, like if her daughter was missing and she was looking for her daughter. But nobody had a reason to stay. Nobody had a reason to stay. They just did.
0: Well, and and that was like one observation that if if that if the mother was the pseudo Ripley character because her and her daughter were kind of a homage to the Ripley Newt relationship, yeah. and. Uh, I was just going, like even extending to giving the daughter lines that Newt said from uh-huh. Aliens 2. Uh, but I'm just going, again, like, why aren't you, why aren't you making the right decision here? You're, of all the people in this entire situation, you're the one capable of acting in a rational manner and doing the smart thing to survive. And, no. Nope. She's somehow caught, you know, pinned down in the graveyard by the predator, and then she goes one another way, and there's an alien. Yeah. So, yeah, it was just ridiculous.
1: <laughs> so I want to hear some of your uh, overthinking on these notes, please.
0: <laughs> well, the thing that, uh, that bothered me about this film is that it, was, it seemed very obviously trying to grab on and appropriate more successful moments from previous uh, moments in the franchise. There's like, yeah, the relationship they set up between the mother and daughter is is like the ripley Newt relationship. Um, there were the aliens swimming through the water scenes. That mm-hmm. was in Alien Resurrection. Get to the chopper. Get God, to the chopper! I heard that and I went, are you kidding? <laughs> it's like, have some self-respect, man. When you read that in the script, didn't you just turn to the director and say... Yeah, Arnold said this. I can't say this line. Yeah. What the hell are you? That was another Arnold. What the hell are you? Alien drool over you know, over overhead, right? Um, you know, and then the slow burn up. It's like, yes, yeah, seen that. Um, are the monsters gone? Yeah. It's like, and then she's looking up into the sky with foreboding because she knows the monsters are still out there. It's like, I know you're a little limited with this kind of franchise in that if you're not going to resolve or build. Like a progression into the development of the storyline, you've got your 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 hands are tied. Yeah. It's like ne- Earth at this point is not capable of you know doing anything proactive against this threat. It's like again you're going well, yes, but it's connect. This is earlier in the franchise, mm-hmm. so yes. they're connecting this uh, you know retroactively into you know the future. Uh, except that you know in in Alien. They didn't... This was a surprise to them as well. Yeah. You know, so... Again, you're going, well, wait a second. It's, it's very hard when you've, you're you trying to tie these franchises together in, like, neat little bows, and yet it just basically leaves further questions unanswered.
1: You spend so much time paying service to the previous films that you don't really do much in the, in the one that you're making. Yeah. Um... I, they, they they tried to do some ballsy things in this like, I, this isn't really a compliment but I will say they were trying something really early in the movie one of the first people killed is like a father and son who are out hunting and we t- typically haven't seen little kids get killed in this franchise before, and they kill the hell out of that little kid they the do. thing is, is that I felt nothing, it did not make it like, it should have been horrifying but it wasn't and it really set the stage for what was to come. Introduction of character, character dies. Introduction of character, character dies. I didn't feel any of these... There was not a death in the movie that I felt, oh, that was horrible, that sucks. Like, uh, I was mildly surprised when the hot girl got, got killed <laughs> since they spent so much time setting up the romance. Right. But, I, again, I wasn't affected by it. It wasn't like, oh, that's terrible. She deserved better than that. It was like well, oh, there's another piece off the board. We must be getting closer to the end.
0: Who's left? Yeah, <laughs> Just, There's not too many left. It's like, I think we're... Uh, yeah, we must be wrapping up soon.
1: And again, I mean, it sounds dismissive to refer to someone as the hot girl or the pizza guy or, you know, the ex-con. But that's what the movie asks of you. That's... I don't remember their names, and the movie doesn't want me to. Yeah, there, there. It's
0: not necessary. No, there isn't. Yeah. Well, and and... Part of the... That was something that I thought a little... I was thinking a little bit too much about this film in that when you talk about the relationship between the brothers, like you've got the father-son relationship that, well, relationship. They're killed together early on. But uh, like the the protagonists are the ex-con and the pizza dude uh, and their relationship. And I actually thought the predator that answered the distress call Mm -hmm. was the older brother of the predator that got killed.
1: Oh, well, they okay. certainly didn't do anything. to Tell us
0: that. Well, no, they didn't. They didn't. I inferred it right. based on you know. Okay, why would he respond? You know, of anybody because they don't. Again, you don't know anything about that. The world and what you're looking at. All you see is somebody responded to this distress call and takes off to. And why one? And why one? That's why another question. One? If they're really determined to. You know, keep this quiet.
1: And if it's an infestation of aliens, potentially, predator, predator aliens at that.
0: Well, although he didn't know that. Until, until he got, got there. there, right. So, but at the same time, if you look at uh, the first predator alien movie, three of them showed up for this particular hunt. Yeah. So, how come, you know, a task force wasn't sent to deal with? At least three. Like, one of them... Like, they're all pretty badass. Yeah. They They can take on threats, you yeah. know, when they're outnumbered or whatnot. But at the same time, if one of their ships has crashed, it's gone down, something's up. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, when he showed up at the crash site and pulled the mask off the dead predator and looked at it, which was kind of a nice... I like that, as yeah. opposed to... It was sort of a... Reference to like the killer's impression on the retina of right. the victim. I was going okay. Open the that. mask
1: had recorded everything up to the point of his death.
0: Yeah. yeah, and I thought okay, no, I like that. That's a nice little. That's a nice little touch. Um, but I figured now he didn't show a lot of sympathy. Like I guess if he had, or, or wait a second, didn't he? When you know he, he was sort of respectful to the the dead predator. Like they did they touch foreheads or something after that. Don't, I
1: don't remember that.
0: I'm not sure. I'm not going to
1: watch the movie again to find out. <laughs> something
0: about in that scene is what sort of creeped me to the fact that I think they're related. Right. And because they had like this relationship between brothers that they were developing in the main story, I figured that that made sense. Is that, and that's why he responded? Was that it, the distress call went to a family member?
1: Maybe. So again, we don't know. We yeah. don't know. And when we come to this movie, I understand the thought process. This is aliens versus predator. That's what we've come to see. So the the humans take a backseat. I guess I understand that. But again, I wanted to know them a little bit.
0: Well, and you know, if if the the backseat characters are the ones you can actually, you know, you can. Because they can speak, yeah. uh, the uh, the audience you you have the potential of drawing the audience into their plate. We can you can make us sympathetic to them, whereas your two badasses are just you know screaming at each other and flailing around with laser weapons and swords or you know extendable jaws.
1: Yeah,
0: so you really can't feel any sympathy or you know it's hard to get you know in their corner either side they're just there to slaughter everybody, you know, who gets in between them until they actually face face off against each other. Yeah. And you just kind of go
1: <sighs> it's a big lead up to, you know, vagina face versus penis mouth.
0: As far as again, it was of the six movies I watched, it was like the biggest budget yeah. at 40 million. You can't really fault like the performances aren't bad. Like the the actors are competent.
1: They don't suck. They don't <laughs> suck.
0: Um, you know they don't have a a ton to do. They are or they they do what they can with what they have got. The effects are effective. You know for that franchise, it's like the aliens like look good. The uh, the predator looks good. It's so all the scenes happen in the dark. You know yeah, which that's is, true. Which is a typical thing for this because they don't want to be able to see. You know if there's too much light, it reveals the puppetry. The yeah. puppetry. Yeah. So it's like okay, I can I understand it. Um, but, uh, it's just, it's again, it's kind of a missed opportunity,
1: you know. Missed opportunity is the, is the right thing to say about this. And it's the second time that they've missed this opportunity. <laughs> again, there's a really rich, interesting stuff in both the Aliens franchise and the Predator franchise. Now, to be fair, each franchise had independently shat the bed before this <laughs> film, but it doesn't mean just because, you know, there was some... There was some crumbs in the in the blankets in the Furious movies that you have to embrace that side of it as well, you know. And uh, this movie didn't offer anything other than violence. And I mean, it's a sci-fi slasher movie, yeah. and not a very good one. I would rank this as a middling Friday the Thirteenth. Really, <laughs> it's just got better special effects and maybe slightly better acting, but yeah.
0: This is what our killer looks like.
1: Tire. Okay, so I have this movie here called Rubber, a film by Quentin Dupuy. D U P I E U X. How would you say that? Dupuy? Yeah. Dupuy, that sounds right. I think that's right. Um, from the back of the case, meet Robert. Little tire, big attitude. <coughs> After becoming spontaneously self-aware, our mischievous anti-hero rolls around the desert using his newly discovered telekinetic powers to blow up anything in his path. That's basically the plot. Genius. Genius. (laughs) Um, The other thing that's not on the back of the case is that he has a crowd of people that's following him around watching his every movement through binoculars. In some sort of organized tour guide type of situation, uh, yeah, the movie is that strange and more so. Uh, please, what did you think of *Rubber*?
0: <laughs> you know, the the key to understanding this movie was French director, French production, because only this this feels like European horror. Like only the French could come up with something like this. <laughs> and I was trying to figure out, like it's it is it's very. It's self-aware that it's being like a, a weird movie. At the same time, it's, I was trying to pigeonhole it as to how to describe it. And I came up with an existential horror movie. And I looked it up. It says, the existential attitude is a sense of disorientation and confusion in the face of an apparent, meaningless, or absurd world. And that's what this film is, in a nutshell.
1: Yeah, there are no rules to this world. It even will establish its own rules just to break them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> which is just awesome. No <laughs>
1: explanation to the tire's origin is asked or answered. You Not know? <laughs> required.
0: Yeah. It's like I I love this film from the opening. Nice. It was the whole like there's this opening monologue which basically amounts to why do these things happen in the world? No reason, and that's what the film opens up with. This car randomly running over. These collapsing chairs. And that's basically from that point on, you know what you're in for. Things are going to happen in this film
1: for no reason. For no
0: reason at all. And as long as you can accept that, you're going to enjoy it. And so you don't have to understand why something's happening. It's like, it's just, but it's an interesting, they do stay within the rules because it's the choices, things might go astray, but they still feel. Familiar for films that go astray, you know. It's, it's, I'm not explaining it quite right. Well, it's a hard
1: movie to explain, and uh, I kept on having moments like, are they asking us to take this seriously? Like, there's a, I'm going to jump all around here, but there's a scene where the tire comes upon a tire fire. <laughs> He's watching these guys throw these old used tires on top of a big tar-burning fire like in the middle of the Simpsons in Springfield or something. And, uh he starts trembling and he's seeing the tires being thrown into the fire and shaky and this fuels his rage and then we cut to three days later and he's basically killed <laughs> all the people that he's come across by psychically exploding their heads yes are we to are we to feel for the tire is this we to are. justify its behavior
0: he is he's is totally <laughs> justified in massacring all these people because it's genocide yeah <laughs> or tire side
1: but <laughs> it seems from his very conception from when we see him wake up his purpose is to destroy things, and he, he finds something, a glass, and he, he runs it, a, 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 <laughs> a bottle, he runs it over a glass, he explodes, a rabbit, he explodes. Anything he comes across, he destroys. Yeah. So then to suddenly, again, I'm asking, I'm asking if we are going to emotionally relate to a tire. I know it's ridiculous, but the whole movie is, are we then to think, oh, well, he's not such a bad psychic tire. <laughs> He's just taking revenge for all the tires we've been mistreating all this time.
0: Sure, and and warranted too as well. I think I think he's uh, he's perfectly justified in taking his revenge on humanity. Yeah. and believe me, it's going to get worse before it gets better.
1: I mean, wow, wow, and I think that's what really what the uh, what the director was probably going for. I, I like to think he didn't have a sharp goatee and thought this was brilliant. But he wanted this to be, like, you to know, just like, and then this happened. Well, uh, okay. <laughs> you know, like, did this have this continuing feeling of what the fuck. And that is the theme of this episode, what the fuck. My question to you, I don't know if it's an issue, it's a straight-up question, is, is it legit for a movie to intentionally be what the fuck? Or can it only really be a what the fuck movie if it happens organically, <laughs> like, accidentally, or, or you know
0: no it's uh this this film reminds me of like twin Peaks mm-hmm. is that a lot of the stuff that happens in it is literally it feels like it doesn't make any it's sense extraneous, it it a lot just of it was <laughs> thrown in because it was weird and and yet it's again it's following a certain kind of logic uh, along the way but it's it's very you know self aware of the fact that it's making these weird choices and I actually went out and found I was curious as to how they actually handled the 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 tire effect mm-hmm. and so I, I went and I found an article like an interview with the director in which he talked about it and uh, but at the same time he also said that you know you can look for meaning in a film like this like if you want but ultimately he just did a lot of stuff because it was fun hmm um, like his choice to kill the, um, the crowd out in the desert.
1: The people watching, yeah. We lose all of them eventually.
0: <laughs> he just got tired of deal- writing for them, so yeah. he killed them. Yeah. That, that's what he explained in the interview. Yeah. And, but the thing was, he goes, I couldn't kill them all. And it harkens back to an incident where he went to watch one of his own films. Just showed up at a, you know, a normal local multiplex walked in, and the film was playing, and there wasn't a soul in the theater. Right. And he goes, and it just sort of threw him, because he goes, what's the point of showing this if nobody's there to watch?
1: It's true, though. I worked at a theater. Even if no one buys a ticket, the projectionist will run the film. It's absurd. We also still have to do theater checks when you would work there. You'd have to go and make sure that nothing was going wrong in the empty theater, and that the sound and picture quality was just so in the empty theater. <laughs> Just crazy.
0: Well, and But from his point of view as a filmmaker, he's going, what's the point of making a film if there's no one to watch? So that's why he had to hold on to one survivor of that crowd. To watch. To watch. To make sure that, yeah, there's actually a point. Because, you know, it's a little bit like... When the tree falls in the woods and there's no one to hear, does it actually make sound? It's that kind of, you know, logical dilemma.
1: But again, they seem to be waiting for the tire to wake up. They're always at a right situation and know where he's going to be and what he's going to do. And again, no explanation is offered as to the hows or whys of this. I
0: actually figured out my own reason why that group of people were out there.
1: All right, please do tell.
0: They were a bunch of internet film bloggers. And this was a... He was making a homemade film, but he was out to rid the world of a bunch of irritating film
1: bloggers
0: (laughs) because those are the kinds who you know it's you see this on lots of internet sites where they get a little bit of cachet and then they're inviting the bloggers who write for the site to the film sets for visits and who will then give reports and i thought this is what this feels like this group of random people all go home and write about this set visit. Right. But they don't. They don't make they it don't. home. No. So that that's what I decided this group represented. It's like, especially when uh, uh, Wings Hauser yes, shows up at the back of the van and starts critiquing the fact that the movie isn't moving Making along. Making sense. You
1: know, this doesn't make sense,
0: you guys. It's like, it's like I don't understand why, why you're doing this. Yeah. And I thought, yep, see, that's that's yeah, what, yeah the
1: situation the the tire does find time for love he he uh, becomes infatuated with this uh, this French woman that uh, he, he, he runs across spies on her and stops her in certain ways and the police locate the tire the tires in a hotel room somewhere and they bring watching him, y- watching y- car <laughs> car racing of course and they uh, they set up a mannequin outside <laughs> strapped with dynamite and get the French girl to ask the tire to come out and talk to her. So when the tire decides to blow her up, presumably he will blow himself up. And this is a needlessly convoluted thing, as Wingshauser points out. As soon as you see the show- the tire, someone shoot it, <laughs> right? Like, he's, he is sort of the voice of us. Yeah. Uh, bizarre. And I was sort of on his side, especially at that scene. Um, I kind of got to the point in this movie where I was like, okay, I get it. You know?
0: <laughs> I get it. <laughs> I, I was perfectly happy watching this film. It's like yeah, you can you can buy into the absurdity. It's it's no more absurd than the setup of, of any kind of sci fi horror movie. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, it's a little bit out there but
1: it's a curio. It is. And I, it's something that I'd happy to show people. I'm not ashamed that it's on my wall of movies or anything like that. I can say to like some my sister or somebody, So have you seen rubber? <laughs> and then no? Well, so, let's let's spend eighty minutes with rubber. So,
0: you know oh, I, I am I for one am extremely happy to know that this film exists. I was it's one of those quirks quirky kind of productions that it's very hard to learn about. Or, or or hear about, but you know, they get brought to your attention. No. And, uh, and when they do, it's like, <laughs> I'm glad I live in this world where yeah. something like this can exist.
1: The chances that this movie would ever get made has had to be two billion to one, and yet here it is.
0: Well, uh, and-
1: this movie... Yeah, like I said, it sets out to be weird. Um, I don't want to just be negative about it, though. The The guy, the sheriff, who I guess if there's a main character other than the tire...
0: Steven Spinelli? Yes.
1: He he talks directly to us. He's the one character who we are allowed sort of personal access <laughs> he's, to.
0: He's breaking the fourth wall yeah, he's, right off the bat. And,
1: and And, like, for most of the movie, the audience is represented by the group of people following the tire. But they even discard that when the sheriff starts talking directly to us. And I did really enjoy his opening monologue, or his whole breakdown about halfway through the movie where he starts talking about how none of this is real, you guys, and asks his his deputy to shoot him a few times, to prove to everybody that it's not real. Uh, I mean, I really loved that sort of Charlie Kaufman, like, crazy angle of it, but again, each scene was that scene for that long, and the next scene that came after it, although it was equally strange really didn't relate to the previous scene, you know? So, yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, a, I'm mixed on rubber. Uh, I want to like it more than I do, but I don't dislike it, yeah. if that makes any sense. But well, that's the kind of review that a movie this absurd deserves. Yeah. <laughs>
0: so. I, I love the... Uh, uh, playing with the different levels of perception. Right. You know, it's like, I'm the audience watching. There's an audience in the, in the film watching. There's the actual film unfolding I was going the one thing that was missing was I was waiting for a commentary track Yeah. because that's again another level of observation and, and the thing that I never saw was the tire becoming aware that I was watching it <laughs> that, I was waiting for that at the end that the tire was going to tilt and suddenly realize that it was looking through the camera at me and then it's like now I've been noticed now I'm on you know I'm at threat but that never happened, yeah. which was unfortunate. But I was like, no, oh, just a little chintzy thing that I was looking for and didn't get. I,
1: I think that maybe the difference is, and I have the same complaint with like David Lynch to a large degree in these sort of absurd dark thrillers. I think this movie is as concerned with making you smile and laugh as it is with quote unquote scaring you. It's a bizarre movie, but uh, sort of abstract theater or absurd theater is absurd and abstract, but usually is about something. I don't know when I watch a David Lynch movie what it was about other than being strange and trying to confuse me. And I prefer rubber to most David Lynch films, but I sort of had a similar thing. I get that this is absurd and weird, but I don't get that it's about anything other than being absurd and weird. Is that enough, maybe? Is it enough just to be absurd and weird? decapitated. But here, a million miles from home... Anybody here?
0: Drop your weapon.
1: I ain't going back. They're about to discover. Nothing is what it seems. We got a
0: situation there. Everybody in the gonna inside. What the hell is going on mm-hmm. out there? Alright.
1: Ghosts of Mars. Or as maybe more correctly, John Carpenter's <laughs> <laughs> Ghosts of Mars. One of the many mystifying things about this movie <laughs> is that uh, John Carpenter kept his screen credit <laughs> for, uh, for co-writing the, the screenplay to Ghosts of Mars, which, spoilers for people, I didn't like very much. But uh, in a movie that, again, Terry Schroll and I reviewed a few episodes ago called Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter, which we liked, he wrote it but put a different name as the credit for the writing. Oh, okay. So I'm not quite sure why he will proudly lay claim to <laughs> Ghosts of Mars and not Prince of Darkness, because Prince of Darkness was a pretty good, pretty creepy uh, apocalyptic thriller. Uh, and yeah. this is a pretty bad, pretty lame, <laughs> kind of embarrassing sci-fi action movie. It presents itself like it almost wants to be a winking comedy. And Carpenter's done those in the past to great success. I'm a big supporter of Big Trouble in Little China. And that movie is completely stupid and insane. (laughs) Um, This movie is also completely stupid and insane. But it's sort of sucked all of the fun out of it, you know? It takes itself way too seriously. (laughs) And then when it has its weird wacky moments, they sort of stand out as completely incongruous, you know? Um, yeah, so I didn't like these relatively star-studded Ghosts of Mars, but I'm completely accepting to a second opinion. So, Rick, uh, what do you have to say about Ghosts of Mars?
0: Actually, I, I'm pretty sure we're going to agree on this film. Uh, this was, like, swing and a miss. Uh, <laughs> like, just whiffed. I was, you know, you look at this, it didn't have the biggest budget of the films we're reviewing. It's $28 million. Uh, but it has the most well-known cast. Absolutely. You know, solid, solid, listers I would uh, rate them like before Jason Statham yeah hit Jason
1: it Statham was actually originally going to be the lead but they decided to replace him with Ice Cube for more <laughs> star power that's how times have changed right um, yeah Ice Cube Natasha Henstrich uh, she was the lead in Species and she manages to keep her shirt on this whole movie
0: which is just a shame <laughs>
1: well, what are you going to do Jason Statham to Pam Greer who I believe was hot off of Jackie Brown from yeah. this movie which is unfortunate that this is a follow up uh, Clea Duvall, um, Joanna Cassidy, who's an actress I've liked. She was in like uh, Blade Runner and uh, Six Feet Under. She's been around for a while, and she's really good. A lot of good actors in this, but the script does them no favors. And they try to play it with a straight pace, with the exception of Ice Cube, for the most part. Uh, yeah, you know, should I mean, we push the
0: plot a little bit, we, such as it is? The plot as it is. Yeah, it's uh, basically the movie is one big flashback. Uh, with uh, Natasha Henstridge's character testifying before a Mars committee as to the events that uh, occurred at this mining colony uh, in which uh, they, uh, her and her group of uh, police officers show up to escort a dangerous criminal. Desolation Williams. (laughs) Just shoot me now. (laughs) It's, and
1: is that any sillier than Snake Bliskin? <laughs> well it's
0: I I read a little bit about uh this film online and, and John Carpenter has this sort of um quirk of of giving these odd names to his anti-hero characters to no really good effect mm-hmm. because he's not a badass. he's <laughs> Ice Cube, I don't care where he comes from, he's a rapper he's not a badass he doesn't he looks soft yeah you know when you look at him and i just went this is the biggest criminal badass on mars
1: he now. does i will give him always have sort of that vaguely pissy look on his face like he's always in a bad mood or grumpy about
0: something <laughs> but uh, because that's what you look for in your really dangerous criminals yeah that they are a little dyspeptic yeah <laughs> So, but, but I
1: could see Statham in the lead. Actually, I could see him uh, uh, sort of fitting that a little more comfortably. Cube is fine, but like I say, he has that certain expression no matter what role he's playing. And in a family comedy or in like Three Kings, where he's sort of the religious uh, character of the group, he still has that sort of sneer on his face pretty much all the
0: time. Yeah, it just like uh, I was saying there. So anyway, so the to wrap the plot up. Oh, sorry, um, his. the. Um, so they come to uh, escort this dangerous prisoner back for trial uh, and discover that uh, most of the colonists have been murdered. Uh, and they're hanging upside down with their heads chopped off. Problem. <laughs> so there's a problem. And especially since your main, your main suspect is locked up in the jail. Yeah. And uh, so they proceed to investigate what's happening and suddenly realize they're in a situation that they're not quite sure about. And uh, it comes out that uh, there's apparently a previous Martian uh, society that's possessing the local miners, making them mutilate themselves in kind of a tribal fashion, mm-hmm. and then going out to kill all of the intruders.
1: So much of this is not made clear in a lot of ways. The movie's called Ghosts of Mars, so I'll go ahead and say these ghosts are possessing these people. Are these people alive or dead while they're possessed? We don't know, but you can shoot them and they will die again. Um, But you don't
0: actually kill what's possessing them. You don't kill what's
1: possessing them. them. It comes out and will grab onto someone else. And this is a lesson that the our heroes repeatedly refuse to learn <laughs> throughout the movie, even though they know it's a true they they open fire on these guys all the time
0: well, <clears throat> and, and the moment when Clea Duval kills the prisoner that's possessed in the jail in yeah. the cell, and when they cut back to her, she just says like, "Fuck him. and you don't know why she was particularly put out by the guy. Mm-hmm. he was just sitting in there, you know acting weird and yeah. she wasn't aggressive and yet and uh and he's sent there, why did you do that? That was really stupid. Um, and so, but again, you go, if one, if they possess somebody, can they release themselves voluntarily from the person they possessed, or do they have to be killed in order to free them? And Joanna um,
1: Cassidy's character starts talking about microbes in the dirt that <clears throat> uh, lay dormant until they were disturbed. So are they ghosts, or is this some biological thing? Um
0: well, the guy, you know, that they, they find in the, the that vehicle. Right. And who kills himself. Yes. Well, it's like, he's trapped in there. The lock's destroyed. He can't get out. Yeah. Um, he kills himself, which releases this, you know, being, whatever. But again, you're going, if it can't pass through a solid object, because there was a door restraining right. them at the, you know, when they were explaining how they discovered this ancient Martian grave site, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is they were trapped by physical objects, uh, or they could be restrained by a barrier. So that doesn't suggest a ghost. It suggests a, you know, a, some sort of biological or physical
1: present presence. presence, presence. Thing, yeah.
0: But if that's the case, how come they weren't vaporized when the nuclear bomb went off? I don't know how you turn a nuclear power plant into a bomb by setting the dynamite.
1: (laughs) We're thinking way too much about this. I'm just
0: going, well, I I have to disable the coolant towers, Jason Statham. Where do I plant the dynamite? I don't think that's the way it works. (laughs) But if they're a physical, biological being surely they would have been sterilized by the explosion. Nope, that doesn't happen. So there's some contradictions in the script writing that weren't resolved properly that, you know, again, why am I thinking so hard about this? You know? Well,
1: because uh, there's a weird mix because where they underthink the whole Ghosts of Mars aspect of it, a lot of ele- other elements of this plot seem to have been way overthought. It's a it's a matriarchal society that we're introduced to. The women are running things. That that would be, in of itself, an interesting approach to take, because we don't see that so often. The women act exactly as the men would in these things. Like, there's no discernible difference between, like, basically the movie posits that women are just as big a bunch of assholes as guys are when it comes to this sort of stuff.
0: I thought that exactly the same thing. <laughs>
1: and. Uh, why set that up if you're not going to do anything with it? The fact that Natasha Henstrich's character is a drug addict is kind of interesting. It sort of works its way back into the plot because uh, her drug addiction actually helps prevent her from being possessed for some reason later in the film. Uh, And like you said, the bizarre structure of this all being a story that she's telling, and we're seeing it all in flashback, including scenes that she wasn't involved in that were reported to her uh, and the weird flash pans. like, it seems like Carpenter thought a lot about this structure, like, he was trying to make this a really interestingly told story, and creating the world with the matriarchal society, and, and, like, throwing in all of these things that are cool and maybe interesting of themselves, but didn't spend enough time on the bad guys. And, like, you're talking about the tribal thing with them piercing themselves, When we get our first look at these possessed people, zombie-like group walking down the hillside to the mining camp, this really felt to me... I mean, Carpenter had to be in his late 60s or 60s in there when he was making this movie. It really felt to me like an old man trying to give the young audiences what they thought were cool. Like these Marilyn Manson-looking... Zombie people with the piercings in their face and their filed down teeth and the anthrax grinding walk yeah, yeah, score that they have there and it just it, it you know in the eighties he might have pulled that off and it would have felt current but it's even when it came out it was it was not of its time and now watching it in twenty thirteen like wow and some of the special effects particularly the train. <laughs> When they show the train traveling around Mars, pretty bad, pretty bad.
0: <laughs> well, there was elements of these special effects completely keep dropping you out of the of the life of the movie. I just kept watching and seeing some of the most abysmal, you know, wire work, <laughs> and you know these explosions happen, and you see you know this guy get caught in it, and he kind of does this half-hearted half bounce because of it and you just go what was that like it was just painful you know they had money but it's like if this was the best cut of this shot it's just it. it was it was painful to watch
1: and it takes its time too it does let us get to know the characters and who everybody is and what their dynamic is in the group in spite of this when they get killed off we feel nothing (laughs) also talking about the convoluted flashback scale one of the one that really particularly pissed me off is uh jason statham comes across these guys who aren't infected yet when he's out doing his perimeter search and uh brings them back and they tell their story about how they were in the camp and uh they witnessed from a distance what happened to the miners and have been hiding out since then and then a couple sequences later we find out that that flashback is not true at all. <laughs> that they were actually there to break out Desolation Williams. So we got a flashback to their bullshit story, like, and that she was then telling. You know, she was telling us the story of Jason Statham's story that was given to him by these guys, which weren't true. <laughs> like, and, <laughs> and,
0: and why are you in your testimony to this council? Why are you basically relaying this? bullshit story yeah (laughs) that you in subsequent you know as the story pans out it turns out that that was all a bunch of bullshit so why am i filling in this moment you know with all this testimony yeah it doesn't make any sense
1: no and that's throughout the movie and maybe if the movie wasn't taking itself so seriously i wouldn't be looking to that but for most of the movie the actors again with the exception of ice cube seem to be playing this impossibly straight almost i guess i'll give them credit because some of those lines would be really hard to get out <laughs> but if it was the same bouncy stupid world that he would established in previous films like they live or or like i said big trouble in little china i probably would have forgiven a lot of the tics and hums that are in this film but it takes itself very seriously uh, until the end of the movie when it's like oh fuck it uh, the movie's over
0: <laughs> and there's these moments where it's like well it's We've been uh, going along pretty serious for a little while, so I think we need to stick in a joke.
1: Yeah, but let's it's get this a, guy to cut off his thumb for no reason. Yeah,
0: it's just hilarious. <laughs> and the and the three chuckleheads, Uno, Dose, and Trace, yes. the three who show up to break Desolation Williams out uh, of the cell, all walk into the cell to congratulate themselves and get locked in the It'll cell. With yeah. I went, is this... What is going on?
1: And again, if it was played funny, we would have thought, oh, these guys had a really great plan until they got to the cruise. That could have been a really good moment, right? But instead, you're just like, oh. I did that a lot watching this movie. Oh, what are you doing?
0: Well, and that's actually pretty close to what they, they did when that happened. You know, yeah. They turn around, saw that the jail cell had been closed on them, and they go, oh, man! <laughs> you know, <and> just Really? <laughs> really?
1: And they've been, their subterfuge had been perfect up to this point, too.
0: <laughs> they were. They were actually, they had <clears throat> infiltrated the whole situation. They got the drop on all the police officers. It was, it was quite well done in that respect. No, they're just a bunch of clowns.
1: I mean, if you're a John Carpenter completist, if you want to see all of his works, good, bad, and ugly, so that you can you know, rank and review your Carpenter collection, go ahead and give Ghosts of Mars a look as a curio. But I could not say with any amount of truth that this was a good movie at all. And it kind of saddens me to say that, but it's just the truth. How could I have gone from the king of rock and roll to this old guy in a rest home? You
0: were an Elvis impersonator. You fell off a stage and broke your hip? Who was it? Twenty years
1: ago. That's where they took a piece of my brain. I got a little bag of sand up there now.
0: Jack, President Kennedy was a white man. They dyed me this color. What we have yet
1: shady rest is an Egyptian soul sucker of some sort. Some kind of Bubba Hotel. You know, a mummy hiding out, feeding on the sleeping. There's a lot of love for Bruce Campbell. On. And uh, I think warranted. Especially when you consider this movie, Baba Hotep. Um he's sort of mister Macho cheesy talking with his, you know, dick kind of character usually most of the time. In in this movie he plays an elderly Elvis Presley in a in an old age home. <laughs> and uh it's a very earnest performance. As silly as the movie is, the performance is straight and uh I think pretty strong. uh Yeah, what did you think of Bubba Hotep?
0: Well, I just like to imagine the pitch meeting. (laughs) Because it was very hard, from what I understand, to get this film (laughs) financed. You think? But you've got two approaches. Maybe the early approach uh, was to get you in the door. It's like, okay, so we've got a mummy preying on the residents of this East Texas retirement convalescent home. Yes. And two of the residents... Band together to protect, you know, themselves and their, you know, their friends. Cool concept,
1: go so project.
0: It's like okay, that gives you another minute. Okay, so one guy is Black John F. Kennedy, and there's fat old Elvis
1: with cancer of the penis. With
0: cancer of the penis, and <laughs> the um, the mummy is actually a cowboy. Dressed as a cowboy, I can just see the lights turning off on the, the, you know, the studio's uh, executives. Uh, but at
1: least this is in the loving, caring hands of the director of Beastmasters.
0: <laughs> <So. laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, but if you read the, the liner notes that accompany uh, the DVD, is that you know, Bruce Campbell read the script, and even he was kind of floored by, <laughs> by the whole concept of it. And he was talking to his agent, and he was going, I've got to be on, in this. And his agent was going, no, Bruce, you don't want to be in this film. It's like it's TV season. We can find you something better, and it's like. But he eventually, you know, it, this film wasn't going to get made without him. Yeah. Like, but this was tailor made for a guy like him. Oh yeah. It's uh, like a total horror genre piece that is perfect for him, and he does. Uh, I've I've only seen a few Bruce Campbell movies, right. although I didn't. I had forgotten that he was in Xena Warrior Princess oh yes you know it was like oh right he was in Hercules and,
1: and <laughs> all and, produced by Sam Raimi yeah. and I
0: was going right right uh, and I've seen him like he does cameos in all Sam Raimi's movies and I'm not a huge fan of the original Evil Dead mm-hmm. it's like I, I don't know i I've, I've watched it recently and I thought it was it, it feels clumsy it feels i,
1: I Terry and I reviewed it very recently I, I gave it a favorable review, but I acknowledged that it's fairly amateurish yeah. uh, it's more interesting because you see these people at the they're, they're in their early 20s at the start of their career it's, yeah. it, it's more a curio than anything else i agree
0: but uh, but in this film like i i I walked away from this film strangely moved by the whole experience. Nice. You know, it was funny, but it was touching as well. And I also kept about halfway through the film, I was equating this this movie with Unforgiven. Wow. The <laughs> classic Clint Eastwood Western, yeah. Western. And I went, How is this connection even possible in my head? And yet it it made perfect sense to me because both those films were about you know old legends for you know and what happens you know there's the the old uh, phrase uh, legends don't die they just fade away right but this movie is actually kind of the opposite is that these old legends were just fading away in this convalescent home and yet the the situation allowed them to actually exit with dignity and sort of more of their original power Mm -hmm. it it was respectful in that sense so you could you could totally root for them because they started out as these forgotten you know the the nurse uh, you know doesn't believe that he was actually elvis presley but humors him but humors him about it it's like you know and whether or not aussie davis was JFK or not I like to think he was. Yeah. It's like it, if
1: Elvis was Elvis why the hell can't JFK, why the JFK hell be JFK? Not?
0: <laughs> but it's like you like to, you know, think that these guys who had such, you know, power and influence in their hating is like it was such a waste to think that they would just end up as forgotten humored, you know, pathetic old men. Yeah. They got a moment to redeem themselves. And I loved it for yeah. for that reason.
1: For me, I mean, I have an interesting relationship with the movie because I gotta say, the first time I watched it, I liked it, but did not love it. I, I mean, I don't know what I was expecting of the movie, but it wasn't what I got. The horror in the movie for me did not come from the mummy stalking the old people of this of this convalescence home. It was the idea of being a, an old person in one of those beds just... Because we all are going to end up, if we're lucky and live long, relatively helpful lives, we'll end up in a a place like that or hopefully nicer. And to be an old person who has really, has lived an incredible life and have nobody care what you have to say. And to be in this position of helplessness and patheticness. Elvis has broken his hip and he's got cancer on his penis and uh, he's, you know, relatively humiliated by where he's ended up they spend a lot of time with the backstory of elvis how he traded off his 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 career with an elvis impersonator because he just wasn't feeling it anymore and then he lost the contract and of course the guy who was impersonating him died and this is where he ended up but basically the position of being an old person in a bed looking back on your life and knowing that nobody cares about your life for me that's where the horror came from because it was real The movie is very unreal (laughs) but that is a very real part of the horror (laughs) for me
0: well and they and it's basically you know that whole group they they don't establish the backstory for everybody no it's like but the guy in the bed next to elvis who is basically coughing up a lung dude that's all you ever know about him and he dies Right right away right away in the movie but they make the point that he was a purple heart winner
1: and that his daughter was casually going to throw that purple heart in the garbage.
0: In the garbage, and you just went, and that's what you got. You basically, basically got you know this group of people who have accomplished great things in their life are reduced to castoffs, mm-hmm. and that's yeah, that's it's frightening to think that you know whatever you do, you know you can spend your entire life building up, you're know, having all kinds of success, you know. Earn lots of money, whatever for whatever whatever you've done that earns you the respect uh, of you know over your uh, over the course of your life, ultimately can be reduced to nothing by like disposing a few things in the garbage, and you're basically what proof is there that you were even around? Yeah, and and that's what you know. You've got the guy who thinks he's the Lone Ranger. Mm-hmm. You're going. Was that the guy who played the Lone Ranger in the movies? Yeah. You know, it's like, you, you could take it that far. It's like, especially since you've got a number of people already who have established themselves as these are actually you know, important people yeah. in the world. <clears throat> and so is everybody here sort of a forgotten hero
1: it's very possible. Yeah. <laughs> you mean, we don't get to know a lot of the people in the in the home, but the people we do know are quite interesting. I really loved this little moment early in the film with that old lady who was the kleptomaniac. <laughs> she comes up to this woman in this huge iron lung and sort of sweetly strokes her hair and then steals, and then her, steals glasses. her glasses off of her face.
0: That was that was actually that I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> I loved it because you can know, and she's walking around stealing chocolate boxes from other people's Anything trays. she can
1: find, yeah. And
0: you think, this is what our society reduces people to, Yeah, is that preying on, amongst the less fortunate, you still have... You know,
1: the stronger preying on the weaker. Exactly.
0: Yeah. And it was funny, and yet at the same time, you just went, oh my God, that's horrible. Yeah.
1: I think that it was done, too, because as we find out, spoiler, she's one of the victims of the mummy, uh, that the mummy actually eats your soul. So if the mummy kills you, there's no afterlife for you. So it was a particularly horrible fate. So they made sure that we didn't like her (laughs) before they killed her. Uh, And that is sort of a funny moment in the movie. But one thing that I would say to people who haven't seen the movie, uh, this isn't a comedy. I wouldn't say that this is a comedy. It's ridiculous, and there's a lot of absurd, bizarre elements to it, but it is played pretty much completely straight. I mean, there's laughs to be had there, but I wouldn't call it a comedy.
0: <laughs> well, no, and, and the thing is is that playing it, it would have been so easy with this setup to play it for camp.
1: Yeah. It's like... That's what I expected, and I think that's probably why I didn't like it as much the first time I saw it. But...
0: And I would have hated it if yeah. it was played for camp. I liked the fact that they played it dead straight. This was like a tale of redemption yeah. for you know two people on the the down and out at the end of their life, and it was when there was moments like that were intended to be lighter, they came off wrong mm-hmm. because it was like cheapening the moment, you know the whole bit where Bruce Campbell you know, traps the the scarab yeah. uh in the in the uh the bedpan. Yeah. You know, and then he turns and it's hiding in the bedpan. Well where else could it be? Yes. It's like <laughs> it's like of course he pinned it against the wall and then he wonders where it goes. Yeah. You know, it's, and then you know he's gonna turn it and then it's gonna jump at him. It's yeah. like it's not a surprise. And frankly it was kinda clumsy having done that. Mm. I I didn't like it. Uh it was cheap. And I'm going and I know it's kinda played for a laugh, at the same time I'm going no, this is not. You gotta stay, stay. The whole
1: up. cherub sequence, actually, I didn't mind it. I thought the cherub looked kind of silly, but uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, 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 I didn't mind the sequence. But that really felt like something that they added because the movie needed some sort of excitement, exciting scene. So much of the movie is old Elvis in the bed being miserable and having ointment spread on his penis, you know, like, uh, the movie needed a little bit of action, and I think that's why it's there, and that's why the cherub thing never comes up again afterwards. Okay. It seems like, uh, the beginning that the cherub's are part of the creature's modus operandi, but, no, he just happened to have a cherub with him, and the cherub died, and, you know, he moved on. <laughs> well,
0: and I, yeah, because it was a little confusing at that one point, because you thought that the, the scarab, um, Morphed into the mummy
1: maybe yeah like
0: for the old lady that got killed mm-hmm. is that it kind of you know when it's extra head popped out mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden it was a cut shot and you saw the shadow of the mummy rise up I thought the scarab actually represented the mummy
1: no but, I don't think so <laughs> but they
0: fried it yeah. on, the, on the heater and the mummy was still there so I'm going okay that's you uh, kind of screwed that up <laughs> but they also said well we got old fat Elvis you know we need him in Asrabov fight scene with this big bug yeah so it's like this will be fun yeah people will like this
1: and yeah. the movie might need it at that point or if that was the justification for it well, i mean uh, who's the yeah. audience for this movie the people who will go to see the movie would probably be the young dumb horror fans or as they are called i have respect for horror fans of course but uh i think if you went in there looking for a riotous horror comedy you, you don't would walk it. out kind of like maybe you'd like it but it wasn't what you were, you went but you paid your money for you know i got
0: this character drama <laughs> yeah
1: exactly it is almost a drama it is but i mean you you read those descriptors you know ozzie davis playing a uh, uh, black john f kennedy and, and that character is really bizarre like it's one of Ozzy davis's last roles if not his very last i think and Sometimes he uses a wheelchair And sometimes he doesn't And, uh, you know, we're sort of He's got this, like, big model set up in his room And his room is way nicer than anyone else's too. It's very presidential, yeah. watching, isn't it? <laughs> he's got this model of Dallas And the scene of, you know, the grassy knoll and, and this great conspiracy And the movie never really implicitly says he's crazy And the movie never really implicitly says he's JFK That's all left up to you I mean, <laughs> I guess that's funny, but there's no point where you feel like... Boom, tsh, yeah. At any point, do they do the drum roll? or At any point, is there a... Eh? Funny, huh? No, they play it completely straight. <laughs> well,
0: and you know the, the obvious thing that they could have done, which they didn't, and I respect them for this decision, was they didn't have him do the character in the JFK cadence. Not at all. Because I'm going, that would have screwed it up. Yeah. It would have been distracting. And I thought that was brilliant that they left it is that if he's JFK, all he is is JFK in character. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that makes you presidential, yeah. like the willingness to sacrifice for the greater good. Yeah. And I went, okay, you know what? And that's good enough. <laughs> Even if he is just a crazy man with a sack of sand in his head, yeah. uh, it's, uh, you still go, yeah, but you can respect him for the decisions he's making yeah. and his willingness to put others ahead of himself. And so, yeah, so you're going, I, I, it would, it would have been so easy to go off track at some point and ruin the film and somehow they managed to avoid it. Yeah. yeah. They I thought it was weird,
1: it. the whole idea of the, the mummy writing uh, graffiti on the bathroom wall. <laughs> they find like Egyptian writing in one of the bathroom stalls and yeah, they, they surmise that the mummy was in there taking a dump and just got bored and started writing on the wall. <laughs> what a bizarre inclusion
0: and and the fact that Ozzie Davis has a book on Egyptian hieroglyphics very helpful
1: very helpful it
0: it was very helpful for moving the plot along wasn't it it was it was basically you know I was I called this film tasty cheese you know (laughs) it was you know you didn't fault the performances like they were good Uh, the effects were decent if not you know there was sort of Tales from the Crypt Keeper level, uh, you know, mummy effects. Yeah. Um, But it was funny. It moved along. You could, you bought it. Yeah. I like. I totally, you know, it's. I totally accepted this film for what it was, and and loved it. It was. uh, You know, you think something like. uh, There's lots of Elvis's inner monologues. Yeah. And those are usually kind of clumsy, and yet, you know, uh, what does an old man do? But have time to think
1: yeah and it would be you know this ugly sexuality and thinking back to when he was you know young and strong and sleeping with anybody who'd throw themselves at him and like uh, and now he's this old man who nobody even looks twice
0: at and powerless and you know how did it all come to this and the fact that he ends up in a situation that allows him to redeem himself it's I thought it's a genius genius (laughs) around here knows norma the trailer park queen how sweet you are behind that you know the weaker
1: ones among us would have you believe that violence never pays i say therein lies salvation challenging these kids limitations we show them there's nothing they can't do without faith and,
0: and God's help dragging us up to the mountains and trying to save our souls
1: wow wow what did you think of trailer park of oh it was, it was you know
0: <laughs> you watch this and then you go when 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 will the disaffected youth of america n- realize that going off the beaten track in rural america never leads to a good result it's uh, I I swear I had a seizure while I was watching this film. <laughs> it, it was th- this this was completely I I know of these kinds of films, but I don't seek them out. Right. I have never watched something like this, and it really was just something that I didn't need to know. Not your
1: cup, ot. Well, it's
0: just like I'm not i uh, um, I'm not a gorehound. Right, and this one isn't like a gorehound movie. It's like there's some yes. stuff like that. There's uh,
1: certainly one sequence which I would qualify almost as torture porn. Yes. Yeah,
0: and and that I've never gotten into at all. So mm. as soon as I'm that, right
1: there with you, man. <laughs>
0: and I knew like it was all laid out there. You knew it was coming. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as it started, I went, "Yeah, where's my fast forward button?" And it's <laughs> like I don't need to see this. But the strange thing about this film was I actually don't rank this as the worst movie of this group. Neither do I. (laughs) It was because I thought that there was a slightly more interesting film or the potential for one after watching the opening scene, the setup, where you see Norma, who's the sort of the queen bee, hot girl, uncorrupted. I
1: believe she's played by Nicole Holtz.
0: Yeah and she's uh they show her and she's still got her looks and she hasn't been despoiled by all the scummy other neighbors who live in this trailer park and she's going off to you know meet up with her fresh-faced young yuppie
1: boyfriend yeah (laughs) Yeah.
0: and she's basically still thinks at this point that she's got a way out of this life
1: i think her boyfriend in her mind is her ticket out of here
0: yeah everybody else is they're corrupt not nice terrible people prostitutes murderers like in the first five minutes they're all set up as openly
1: aggressive stupid hayseed scumbags
0: yeah Yeah. and so they proceed and they they know that she thinks she's gonna get out she's gonna you know get free of this life
1: and she's pretty enough that she probably could
0: she could and so they the two uh, main reapers uh, (laughs) show like well before they're they're killed and turned into reapers um, are giving this boyfriend a hard time and so when he stands up for himself a little bit, you know, they can, they respect that. Right. And then they push him and impale him on two fence posts. Yeah.
1: That was a very sloppily handed sequence too, I thought, when they killed the yuppie boyfriend. It but, was right at the beginning of the movie and I was like, wow, these guys are cartoonishly evil. And that was not a very convincing, you well, know, But moment. the other
0: thing was, is that they kind of looked a little chagrined. Like they didn't expect, they didn't really intend to kill him
1: they were gonna bully him and, and try and scare him away but it got way out of hand you know, and,
0: quickly. and then they didn't actually do anything with the body they kind of just walked away and oh, i meant,
1: shit happens when you party naked who knows yeah yeah you just
0: go <laughs> so you're just gonna leave the impaled corpse you know lying there yeah so and then so then they set up that norma has this little you know, it's her signature monologue scene here, where she establishes her character, where all she wanted was you know something good for herself, and how could they did not understand this, and so they wander off, and she wanders off, and, and then she runs into the man, mm. quote unquote, and uh, who's apparently pissing acid, yes. fire, something's. He's taking a leap, but he's sort of got this flamethrower action going. <laughs> And, uh, and he offers her, you know, her he understands her. Yeah. And he offers her her means for revenge. And uh, so she goes back and slaughters everybody and ends up, you know, after killing everybody she knows, there's no real life for her anymore, so she dies in the trailer park fight. And I sat there and I, I looked at that and I went, she made bad choice and she's not totally irredeemable in this the situation given that she did have motivation for what she did
1: it was vengeance but she killed everybody in the trailer park two guys killed her boyfriend and she killed (laughs) everybody (laughs) so
0: but I thought that there was the potential for something a little more interesting Mm -hmm. in that she could have been a little conflicted later on but she's not when she you know when you meet her later on she's just basically now she's embraced it embraced it and is gonna slaughter everybody um and I just went, man, I was, just, I was hoping that they would, they would go in the not easy direction.
1: The interesting thing about the opening, too, like I said, I found the first half of it with, before she went and found the devil. Because, well, obviously that's who it was. She made a deal with the devil uh, when they bully her boyfriend to death. I didn't think that was particularly well handled. But the sequence when she comes back to the trailer park and they got the camera mounted on her as she walks around and shoots the shotgun and actually gets spray back on her face from killing people, I thought was really well done. Yeah. And that's weird because the movie is full of sequences like this. There'll be a scene that is really well done followed by a scene that feels kind of slapped together. Followed by another scene that was really well executed. Followed by another scene that seems kind of slapped together. There's the inconsistency to it. It was like some days they have more time than others to do to execute it. And clearly, this was a relatively low budget film. I mean, yeah, compared compared to what we've seen previously. Um, but yeah, in a way, that opening sequence is the most interesting part of the movie because the set, once the movie really kicks in. Years have passed, this group of disaffected teenagers come upon the trailer park and get killed by the zombies in the trailer park, essentially, is what happens. Yeah. Was there a deliberate attempt at humor in this movie, do you think?
0: Yes, there were moments. Uh, when the the nerd boy, again, it's like we just talk about stereotypes. Archetypes, yeah. <laughs> like, is that he avoids, like he's hiding under the trailers, he's trying to, you know... Stay alive amongst all this chaos. He ends up trapped in the cage and is killed by the goth girl as she's trying, trying to, to escape. Yeah. And I thought, I thought that was kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, it was just... and
1: less predictable than a lot of the other fates. Uh, yeah, exactly. They spent so much time with him hiding underneath one of the trailers, and you waited till he was going to either come and save the day, or, or he, you kept on waiting for what he was going to do. And and what he did was get locked in a cage and then get squished. <laughs>
0: yeah, so, just sort of in passing. Yeah, and yeah, you you were expecting him to get dragged out from under the trailer or, yes. or something. Um you know, but there was it sort of, there was the involuntary humorous moment where you're going when the, the reaper massage oriental prostitute, you know, appears and the boy looks at her and it's like, Oh yeah. I'm alone in the middle of the night with this strange woman who wants to massage me. No problem. No problem. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Oh, that
1: weird voice and the faceplate that she's wearing? No alarms are going off here. No. This is not that kind of movie. No,
0: nobody seems to realize that uh, this is uh, potentially a problem. Uh, (laughs) A large one, yes. And the fact that you're going, Okay, so Norma starts her little seduction of the pastor and yeah again you're shaking your head going don't do it don't do it man this cannot end well <laughs> yeah. it's like you're you're you know you're betraying your faith you know it's and no can't help it yeah. you gotta pick up the little southern tart
1: <laughs> you're a sinner and, and therefore you must pay for that with your life
0: <laughs> and uh, but you know at that same moment you know when her face mask sort of slips slips yeah i'm going. You know some of the effects there. You know when she's putting it back in place, and then it kind of morphs back into her normal face. I pretty thought that, that was pretty good. I thought that was good. Um, so you know there was again there was good moments, and then there was just oh, <laughs> and it's not surprising you uh, any you know anywhere. It's mm-hmm. following along you know the, the very well trodden path of this kind of uh, of movie. It's like you see it in all the slasher movies. Mm-hmm. Is that if your morality is dubious you're You you're, will pay for it.
1: I heard somewhere said that like the Friday the thirteenth franchise, as much as it was hated by, you know, politicians in the eighties era, was one of the more Reagan type of movies that you could get behind because promiscuity and drug use was punished it was always the virtual girl who would virtuous girl who would step up and and fight back and win the battle that episode right yeah
0: (laughs) and that's basically what happens here exactly the one girl who norma can sympathize with um again though i don't know if they really set up her character as having that same motivation you at never all. you never learned that but she all of a sudden spews out this monologue at the end
1: the survivor girl and that's what we call her in the the horror genre the survivor girl because typically it's a girl <laughs> it's not a i'm not meaning to be condescending uh she doesn't do anything overtly heroic to save herself Uh, basically when she's caught and cornered and she knows she's the last alive and about to die, she screams and cries and says, go ahead and kill me. I I, like, I've got nothing to live for anymore. And that's exactly the way Norma felt uh, Mm -hmm. at, at the beginning of the movie. And that could have worked if not for the fact that almost everybody else who died did the exact same thing. There's an entire sequence where this poor bastard is being, uh, having chunks of meat cut out of him and, and human jerky yeah they're making beef jerky out of him and, and uh all he can do he's completely helpless is scream and spit at this guy and say you know fuck you and 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 uh, that character had been established as a complete irredeemable asshole for the whole movie but i felt for him during that sequence because he had the most horrible death of the movie and he did nothing that the goth girl didn't do to, to, to escape his fate, but unfortunately, he gets to get deep fried and turned into zombie food, and they basically let her go well, with the idea, you know, say no one much sent you,
0: right? Well, and the, the thing is that you know there were a few indications, you know, the uh, you know when the goth girl goes and tries to stop the, the girl with the drug problem, right? right. So you know, it, it's, you you saw the indicators that yes, she's troubled, but at the same time, you know, she is making an effort to she can understand the the problems you know that everybody else is, is having the problems in their character and is trying to help redeem them a little bit so but again you know you're kind of stretching for this kind of looking for these kinds of things uh, but I can appreciate that they tried to make you know to give her to make her like you know, to point out the the elements for character that made her the one worthy of surviving the experience right uh at the same time it's like
1: didn't quite get there
0: really they they also could have looked at her begging for her life on the ground and just said choppy choppy yeah yeah. (laughs) Uh,
1: yeah, and they seem to really be enjoying it and that's one thing about the Norma character too she starts off as a victim and, and, and ends as a villain completely. I don't feel bad for Norma anymore at all. I felt for her at the beginning of the movie, and I sure as hell didn't by the end. Uh, going back to my whole thing about sequences that are bizarrely good followed by sequences that are not, you're talking about the character who was addicted to drugs. Yeah. There's a scene where she finds one of the zombies' stashes and just gets completely blitzed out of her mind. Yeah. And the guy shows up and starts cutting her arm off And she's sort of so out of it that she's watching it happen and laughing. And I found that kind of disturbing. (laughs) Like, that was a pretty grotesque sequence in an otherwise fairly silly movie, but it worked. And then a few minutes later, again, there's a zombie standing on top of of a trailer rocking a guitar. And I was like
0: what is going on, you guys? Well, and and that must have been really good weed. Yeah, well.
1: Because I'm pretty sure... I think it was something heavier than weed, but still.
0: It's like, uh, because she was kind of... She wasn't sure if it was a hallucination or not. That's what I was getting from it. And it's like, yeah, what was in that product? (laughs) Because I'm pretty sure the best weed buzz in the world would still fail before an amputation. Yeah. It's like I'm...
1: <sighs> this is not a movie that I would recommend to anybody uh, or everybody or even a lot of people, but uh, it's not horrible. And if this is your cup of tea, if this is in your wheelhouse, I think that there's fun to be had. It, but uh, for a casual viewer, maybe not. <laughs> no,
0: there's, there's moments like when, they, when the goth girl turns the, the grenade trap on, on the uh, the reaper yeah. and, and then he's sitting there saying so my arm back on so my arm back on <laughs> so you're just going <laughs> no. someone's gonna
1: put me back together and I'm gonna give you the ass whooping of your life girl Yeah, no, you, you just, there you, is something crazy about the whole white trash zombie thing that is kind of appealing and like I say the movie is full of what the fuck moments like you as much as it is archetypical of like the, the structure of every other horror movie it goes places that you do not anticipate, and yeah. that's a win. It's
0: you can respect that. <laughs> the mindless, murderous fury
1: that was buried with Jason has been reborn, Pete. and suddenly terror has become child's play. <laughs> The thirteenth, Part 5, A New Beginning. This is Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning, which follows up the hilariously titled Friday the 13th, Part 4, the final chapter. Possibly the funniest horror title until The Last Exorcism Part 2. Now <laughs> um I have a bizarre fascination with the Friday the 13th films. I know that they are not great films, possibly not even good films, most of them. But there is interesting things to be said when looked at the full sweep (laughs) of these 11 movies. And in the sweep of these 11 movies, Part 5 stood out for me to be a WTF movie. Even over Jason Takes Manhattan, and over Jason in Space, and over the deeply bizarre... Jason goes to hell for a lot of reasons. I think, in a lot of ways, this movie is a turning point in the series. From part six on, officially, Jason Voorhees is our protagonist. <laughs> this is the last movie where I feel like they even attempt the Tommy Jarvis character who was in part four and was played by one of the Coreys. Corey Feldman? <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's grown up to this. uh troubled, hunky, 20-something guy who ends up being sent to a camp retreat at Camp Crystal Lake. I don't know who thought that would help him. (laughs) And, lo and behold, a bunch of murders start. Um, There's all sorts of places they could have gone with this. uh, They seem to be implying at the end of the previous film, when little Tommy kills Jason, that the act of murdering Jason infected him with the evil somehow. So who knows, maybe Tommy Jarvis is our killer. But... Uh, the movie was completely gutted by the MPAA. In the the mid to late 80s, they started taking a real keen interest in horror movies because they were getting popular and kids were watching them. And this was the start of blaming violence in movies on all of society's evils. So they took about seven minutes out of the film, mostly of sex and violence or... Uh, pernicious vulgarity I believe was the uh, some of the hillbillies that we have in there had a pretty Tarantino level fuck heavy dialogue apparently that had to be cleaned out but if you remove the sex and violence from a Friday the 13th movie what you have left is what the fuck (laughs) What did you think of Friday the 13th Part 5, Ricky?
0: I just think that this entire movie can be summed up by the fact that before you pushed the record button, we both let out this big sigh. Yeah. Like we knew this was going to turn into an ordeal for the next 15 minutes. Because <laughs> that basically sums this kind of film up. It's, I, I watched the Friday the 13th movies uh, you know, when I was younger when they came out. It's like, yeah, they have a sort of... Well, again, they were a safe way of getting some gratuitous nudity from the uh, video uh, rental place. Yeah. Without your mom really suspecting. Yeah.
1: Uh, although she... It's okay, Mom. It's about the violence, not the sex. <laughs> That's okay, then, dear. Yeah. Yes.
0: But, um, <laughs> the violence is always fun. Yeah. It's like, but the sex is what... <laughs> it's like you want Sex avoid. is
1: troubling. Yeah. Mm.
0: But... Uh, I had forgotten that Corey Feldman was in this movie. And he he pops up in the opening uh, sting before the credits Yeah, they
1: pulled him off the set of The Goonies for a day to do that.
0: And I went, you know, Evan, oh, right, yes, he was featured in the previous movie. And then I went, am I surprised that he ends up as the serial killer at the end? Well, or the potential serial killer? No. In fact sort of looking at his real-life career after that, yeah, it's like, I'm not surprised if he actually would have turned into a serial killer on his own. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's... Uh... But it was just, I was trying... To, it's very hard to be logical about <laughs> this this film or, like, where do you start? So I basically made... And I didn't want to watch this film twice. Fair enough. So I made my quick notes as the film was playing. So I'll just quickly do this. Go. Cool. Kid from the Goonies... Because I had to confirm that. Yeah. Uh, coffin is one inch under the ground with a mound of dirt on top. Fight of the grave diggers. Buried with weapons. Smart. It's a dream. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, opening cash shop. Start the Deadpool. Uh, they let new arrivals to a psychiatric facility carry large, wicked-looking folding knives in their bag. Right. And chop wood with big axes. <laughs> Reggie and the rubber spiders. Gah! Reggie. <laughs> Ethel and Junior. Okay. Uh, ineffective local law enforcement. Of Wonder course. if they'll survive. Vic chops the candy schlub. What the fuck? <laughs> Greaser's taking a shit And then I've got Kick your ass song I don't even know What that refers to (laughs) Boobs (sniffs) Boobs Grandpa What the fuck I don't remember (laughs) What he did But there was something there
1: Yeah Reggie's grandpa Is looking after him Inexplicably At this little uh, Teen respite center uh, There's A little Like 12 year old Black kid And his grandfather Just in the mix For no reason
0: (laughs) Yeah Um, Ethel screaming Chopping the chicken Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Deputy, I'm going to walk over here and say my line Acting, thank you <laughs> Suspense music while the truck is driving to town huh? <laughs> Reggie's brother likes Michael Jackson mm-hmm. It's like he's decked out in the leather gear uh, Tommy fights Junior, nobody notices And it just happened right outside uh, The shitbox duet and then junior screaming on his motorcycle at that point i stopped taking notes because there was really no point after that well you 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 covered a lot
1: there um i think i think ethel and junior deserve some special mention these these are two they could have been in trailer park of terror really they they could have been residents of that trailer park they live right next to the uh to this uh, camp and uh are the most shrill, (laughs) unlikable, horrible characters that
0: get way too much screen time. (laughs) And yet, in their way, they kind of redeem the movie. They do
1: what they're supposed to do well enough. I I don't
0: know how you actually develop that character in consultation with the the director, because it was basically... I think he just walked up and told her, Crazy hillbilly mama, mentally defective son go. Yeah, really. And it's like carte blanche, yeah. whatever. And, uh, and yeah, because they, they basically they stood out because they made bold choices. <laughs>
1: uh, John Shepard, who plays Tommy Jarvis uh, in this movie, says 24 words in the movie.
0: Nothing particularly insightful. No,
1: either. most of what his performance is, is him looking scared, sweaty, or crazy. Huge spoilers for Friday the 13th Part 5, but one of the many things that is wrong with this film is that it's a Friday the 13th film with zero Jason. I mean, at the very beginning he has a dream about Jason, and uh, in, I think in his room he has a brief flash of seeing a reflection of Jason in the mirror, which is would you know be more to say that he has been infected by the Jason bug. But not only did this... Friday the Thirteenth movie get deprived of the bulk of its violence and nudity, but it was deprived of Jason Voorhees. This is a terrible, terrible mistake. It, it, you know, give the kids what they want. The Friday the Thirteenth movie we're obviously making money because there's eleven of them, so it's they, uncomplicated. Making... It is uncomplicated. Stupid teenagers go to a place where stupid teenagers have been killed many times before, and they get killed. It's a dumb formula, but it works.
0: Do not <laughs> fuck with
1: it. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> Don't yeah, In this kind of film, it's going off message is never a good thing.
1: You talked about the character of Vic killing... Uh, One of the kids. Candy schlub? (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember his name. It was very unimportant, but in a way, he was the first death in the movie, and he was the character that I could sort of sadly, pathetically identify with. (laughs) This sort of schlubby guy eating a candy bar, wanting to be included with all the cool kids, and being cruelly rejected by all of them. And I'm like, huh, I wonder where they're going with this guy. No (laughs) way. He offers this guy Vic a chocolate bar while he's cutting woods. And Vic overreacts and kills the shit out of him for it. And again, yeah. Why? What? Who? Oh, but there is a why, because the uh, the ambulance driver who came to pick up the body.
0: You might have had a. You might as well have had a tattoo on his forehead saying "foreshadow."
1: Yeah, I don't know. Honestly, I didn't. I didn't see it coming. I thought that he he. They definitely did that beat where he looked at the body and was horrified. And I guess that was weird because he's an ambulance driver and would have seen a lot of crazy stuff. But I did not uh, suspect that it was... uh, The ambulance driver turns out to be our killer because the kid who randomly was murdered at that site was his estranged son. We aren't told this until after the fact, of Mm -hmm. course. But, yeah, so he is our our killer. I, I mean... I I know they spent an awkward beat on him there, but I just read that as sloppy filmmaking. I didn't really read that as them trying to tell us anything other than oh,
0: that's gross, you know? (laughs) Well, it was, when they revealed the the killer at the end uh, and his head mask is exposed, is ripped off and exposed, I'm going, I didn't actually recognize him. Like, I looked at him and I went, who's Who's that that again? Yeah. And, uh, I did appreciate the fact that they did... He was wearing a full head mask because he was obviously, you know, looked like Jason with the bald head and and whatnot. So I appreciated that they went that far to establish that. At the same time, I'm going, okay, who was that? And... Oh, okay. But when I saw that scene, you know, and the, the cut shot to his reaction, I looked at that and went, oh... Like, that just knocked me between the eyes as (laughs) some obvious lead uh, going forward. And, of course... I I, missed it.
1: I I, I must be dumb, but (laughs) I missed it.
0: Plus, you know, I was looking at it going... As the the body count, you know, escalated, I'm going, well, they have to establish the killer in some way, so who's left? And it's like, yeah, the other ambulance driver gets massacred, and we reveal that. (laughs) So I'm going... Oh yeah, it's it's gotta be. It's like it's still. I didn't recognize him. Maybe it was just the quality of the shot because it was quick. Possibly. And it was, and it was dark. And and plus, you only saw his face. You know. It, you know what was revealed. Um, that wasn't you know covered up by this, this head mask, this latex head mask he's wearing. But uh, but yeah, it just it struck me as, yeah, this is this is going somewhere. He's important.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know why that was bothering me, but there is another scene where they hint at it, at the different murder scene where the same ambulance drivers are there, and the sheriff says to no one, uh, I can't remember the line, something like, uh, this is some bad trouble, and Roy trips up, are you talking to me? <laughs> right? <laughs> And that was just a scene when I watched that the first time. I don't really remember, because I probably watched this for the first time when I was 12 or 13. But upon watching it again, it just seemed like another random, innocuous line, right? Um, a little bit of horror movie trivia. Um, Tina, who was the girl who got the shears uh, to the eye holes. Her. The actress's name is uh, Voorhees. I saw Debbie that. Debbie. Er, yeah, Debbie Sue Voorhees. Uh, unfortunately, her death got edited significantly, but they left her boobs there. Yes. And pretty impressive. I mean, I sound like a terrible man when I say this. There's lots of boobs in the Friday the 13th series. was pretty impressive. I'm know. a dirty male person, but she was very attractive. <laughs> uh, I
0: remember them well. They, yes. <laughs> they, they do. They stand out very well. Yes. So.
1: Uh Again, this is uncomfortable, but, I mean, nudity is, for better or worse, part of the horror genre, and specifically in the Friday the 13th ones, it's... Okay, here comes the nude scene. Like, let's, when are they going to go skinny dipping? When are we going to have the gratuitous boob shot? Well,
0: and that wasn't even the gratuitous boob shot. <laughs> no. the, the gratuitous boob shot was the waitress earlier on yeah. who walks into the bathroom getting ready for a date.
1: And flashes herself.
0: And flashes herself in the mirror. And I went... <laughs> Well done. Yes, yeah. like these to-
1: movies are about sex and violence, and you know you gotta be in there. I mean, I, I don't know who I'm saying this to. Anybody who would watch Friday the Thirteenth Part Five has gotta know exactly what they're stepping into. Um, but for some reason, that particular scene didn't get too heavily chopped by the MPAA. Maybe even the MPAA acknowledged that she had very impressive attributes in that
0: sequence but
1: i'm gonna stop making myself come off as a scumbag here and also say uh uh, yes i respect all of those actresses for their courage to bear all for such silly movies as friday the
0: 13th they have uh, set the course for their future uh compatriots in the film industry It's it's really it's more it's it's empowering
1: it really feels like a role you can get
0: well, i got a part in a movie, and it's not porn. <laughs> I do have to show my breasts, but that's it's all. It's not porn. Uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. As far as uh, innovative deaths, like sort of the, the hedge trimmers to the eyes was kind of the one that was uh, a little bit... In, in, in Hadn't winter. seen it before. Uh, and uh, the leather strap. Yeah. Where they compressed the guy's head again, and that
1: was cut to craziness. Uh, and that one punk rock girl who always had the headset on—apparently, she had a very gruesome, elaborate death. And in the movie, you see almost nothing.
0: Oh, Vi! Yeah, yeah. she was just stabbed. Yeah, but frankly, after watching her do the robot, mm-hmm. she deserved something better than just a knife to the belly. Yeah, it's like no.
1: Apparently, <laughs> she she got a really ugly death originally, and they and it was cut oh. to to what we saw there.
0: Oh, that yeah. footage must exist somewhere.
1: How do you remove the violence from a movie that is about violence? Like, either you make the movie or you don't after a point. But like I said, I do think that this is the dividing line of the series. They, The actor who played Tommy Jarvis in this uh, refused to return for part six. Apparently he became a born-again Christian <laughs> and regretted his experience at part five. So they cast a new actor and he is completely responsible for awaking Jason and causing a lot of deaths. And we don't see him again. And like I said, I think for the rest of this series, they're just honest about it. We're there to watch Jason kill kill teenagers. And Jason is our protagonist. What that says about, you know, the morality of the film or if they should exist, I don't know. But I will say... I like almost every other Friday the 13th movie more than I like this one, and a lot of them are fucking terrible, (laughs) so... (laughs) Okay, we have ranked... well, we haven't ranked them yet, but we have reviewed six What the Fuck movies in this epic edition of Rank and Review. And I'm very curious to hear how you rank these, Rick. Uh, so, with, with any, with no further ado, what was your least favorite?
0: Well, I'll just say beforehand that this type of movie, I thought was done a disservice by just doing 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. So I actually have my kind of ranking in order of uh, worst to best. But I gave them... Uh, in inspiration, because I thought of this idea before I watched any of these movies, okay. but I created a uh, or I, I associated a particular skin I- infection with each of these different types of movies. Oh, very Just nice. To, so uh, As the the now weakest of the films, my number six, was Ghosts of Mars. And I called this an infected ingrown hair. Ouch. Uh, it's irritating and it's frustrating to look at. It's it gets under your skin and just bugs you. Um, but it's also unfulfilled potential, because it could have been an actual hair, but it got blocked. <laughs> and picking at it gets you nowhere. No. It just actually just makes it redder and angrier. And
1: hurt more, yeah. And hurt more.
0: So yeah, that's uh, it was kind of the, the worst of the... Uh, <laughs> but, it, but also just you know annoying, yeah. <laughs> considering its budget and, and what it should have amounted to. Um, my number five was Friday the 13th, part five. And I called it a hairy mole. <laughs> okay. And basically, because it's unsightly and slightly ridiculous looking, uh, at the same time, it's a little unusual and kind of piques your curiosity when you see it. So it's worth a few laughs here and there. <laughs> and, but that's basically Ethel and Junior yeah. is, is what redeems it a little bit in my eyes. Uh, number four was Alien versus Predator Re- Requiem. And I called that one a whitehead pimple. Mm-hmm. And uh, because you know what you're dealing with. And it doesn't surprise you uh, when you watch it. You know, it's, it's aliens, predators. It's a bunch of mayhem. If you poke at it too much, you get a mess on your hands. Yeah. At the same time, it's <laughs> kind of fun to poke at it and see what comes out. <laughs> you know, so, but at the same time, brilliant. in, in a few days, it's gone. And it's just an unpleasant memory. So, yeah. Now, I didn't expect Trailer Park of Terror to To rank so high, high, but it actually came in at number three. (laughs) Nice. And I called this a carbuncle. And if you don't know what a carbuncle is, it's an infected bacterial eruption. And, uh, you know, it worries you. I've never had one of these. But if you see that on your skin, you worry about it. (laughs) Uh, it's disgusting to look at, but it's unusual because it's also uncommon. It's a fairly rare condition. Um, and so its curiosity value is a little <laughs> higher as a result. But it's alarming because it's infectious. See, I liked this film a little bit.
1: and You didn't like yourself for liking it?
0: <laughs> I didn't like it. And I thought, if this film, if having watched this film, makes me want to watch more films like this, I think that's not a good thing for my long-term mental health. Understood. So it kind of it kind of sticks with you, and, and it makes an impact having uh, experienced it. Uh, rubber was my number two film. Oh,
1: I thought you were going number one with that. I really did.
0: Well, and I I, I was really struggling uh, at the number two and number one, but uh, I kind of went with Rubber as a goiter, <laughs> and. Because a goiter is just weird. It doesn't, it shouldn't exist. It shouldn't be. It doesn't belong. What the hell am I looking at? And that's kind of what, you know, it's, but you can't help but watch and be a little, (laughs) and be totally fascinated by it. It's, uh, and that's where, you know, this one had so much going for it. It was, it was, uh, it really wanted to be my number one.
1: Yeah.
0: But, Bubba Hotep took the first position here and in total like it gave me my ranking. Penis tumor. But it's a <laughs> but it's in a good way. It's a compliment to this film. Uh you know, it's it's hard. To call
1: something a penis tumor is to serve it a compliment.
0: It is. It's like in this particular way of ranking films, you know, having watched it, I went, Well, I feel cheap using, you know, <laughs> Elvis's penis tumor as my category for this one and yet I'm going it is it's a compliment it was, <laughs> it was funny it was respectful for the material I, it made the biggest impact on me uh, I actually felt a little weepy you know at points during wow. it, <laughs> you know, which is not what I expected out of a Bruce Campbell movie nope. but I did I totally ended up respecting this film for the way it dealt with the subject matter so, yep, it's a great big weeping, pus-filled tumor on the end of my penis. And I like it.
1: <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that with me. <laughs> um, uh, we have pretty different lists, but I mean, that's okay. I don't, I don't, I, <laughs> but for me, number six is actually Aliens vs. Predator Requiem, which may seem surprising, but the potential that they have to make a good movie here is actually pretty great. I think, they, or or I would like to think that they could make a good Aliens vs. Predator movie. And this movie did not care about anything except for dealing out death to characters that we did not know or care about. And that is why it actually outranked Friday the 13th Part 5, which is, we agree on that, my number 5 pick. It is a slasher movie. It is not a good example of Friday the 13th, and it is a so-so example of a slasher movie. It's set in the 80s, the performances are pretty low for the most part, but if you like Friday the 13th movies, this is another one. And for a bad movie, we had a lot to say about it. In the, in the canon of Friday the 13th movies, this is interesting. I say interesting, I do not say good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, number four, Ghosts of Mars... For all the reasons we previously discussed, I didn't like how the story was told, I didn't like that the tone was uh, fairly serious, even though it was on its face stupid, I didn't like that some of the special effects were so clearly models that I laughed out loud (laughs) at a couple of them, and that ending, that non-ending... They actually stop the train. They've escaped and they go back to set off another explosion that they say will kill the ghosts And pretty much everybody dies in this last-ditch effort And then at the end of the movie we find out that that was all for naught The explosion actually spread the plague much quicker than it would have otherwise went and really Natasha Henstridge and Ice Cube brought about death quicker than it would have otherwise come But do they feel bad about that? Do they mourn their fallen comrades? No. They rack, they rack their guns and say, let's go kick some ass. And very abruptly, the credits just start rolling. And you're like, oh, I want to throw something at the screen. And so, yeah, it's pretty impressive that two other movies were worse than Ghost of Mars on this list. And like I said, it's not, in my mind, Carpenter's worst movie. So, ouch. Um, I put Rubber at number three. I'm kind of mixed about Rubber. I mean, I liked it, and I would enjoy showing it to people just because it's great that this movie exists in a lot of ways. But I think by giving it, by ranking it too high in the what-the-fuck category, I'm not going to let it have its cake and eat it, too. <laughs> There's a little bit of... It's a weird almost hypocrisy to this movie. Uh, um, this movie was so preoccupied with being absurd uh, and so deliberate in its what-the-fuckness that... Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I think you can deliberately make a what-the-fuck movie fairly easily. I think it's hard to make one <laughs> accidentally. <laughs> and that's what they did with Trailer Park of Terror, which is my number two. <laughs> uh, this movie is quintessentially what-the-fuck. I actually said it a couple of times out loud while I was watching the movie. I don't know if I would say that it's good or it's bad, but if you like a movie that's going to pull a rug out from under you on more than one occasion, it does that. It's interesting. It's inconsistent in like the quality, like I say, from scene to scene, but it is not boring. No. <laughs> uh and so it made it as high as as number two. And of course we agree on the number one to be Baba Hotep. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, we had a nice long <laughs> discussion about it. Um I like that it played it straight. It was ridiculous and yet it was played straight. And this would seem to be like what I was saying about rubber, a very consciously let the fuck movie but it didn't do any of the things that you expected it to do and the stuff that it did was pretty interesting so uh i fully endorse Bubba hotep um the rest of the movies uh if they're your cup of tea i think you know it already yeah. and if they're not stay far far away there are much better horror movies to be watched Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Rank and Review. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you've got some feedback to give me, because I would love to hear it. If you would like to write me, you can do so at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. Let me know what I got right. Let me know what I got wrong. And thank you so much for listening.